Jason, Christian, and Dulce, new boy, Jason Elijah, 10 pounds. All right. They just keep on coming here at Calvary Chapel in the city. It's in the water. You've been warned. Okay, well, before we begin, I just um, want to thank everybody who was uh, praying for my daughter Adlai and I. We were down in Haiti this past uh, week, and I just wanted to share with you uh, something about my experience for the first uh, few minutes here. I uh, was down there for the purpose of encouraging uh, Pastor Serge Puteau. He started a Calvary Chapel right in the middle of Port-au-Prince uh, last April or May, and I also went down there just to prepare for a missions trip that uh, God willing will be taking uh, later in the year and just really excited by the things that I saw down there and, and witnessed and, uh, uh, and, and was able to take part in, actually gave eight teachings and, uh, while I was there. But uh, Serge, uh, his daughter, by the way, goes to this church. She goes to MIT, attends each Sunday. I think MIT starts this week, right? I, so she's not here this morning. But uh, I met him because I met her a year and a half ago and asked her what her dad did. He goes, oh, she, he's starting a Calvary Chapel in Port-au-Prince. And if you know anything about Port-au-Prince, uh, it's a pretty wild and crazy place. So I was really interested in that. And uh, we brought him up here he, about a year ago. He, he uh, shared the word with us. And he's actually now pastoring two churches there. One's a Sunday morning church with uh, family, singles, uh, you know, this type of thing. And on Wednesday... Night, he pastors a church uh, made up exclusively of teenagers who uh, have been abandoned, long ago been abandoned by their parents. They're homeless, they're living on the streets. Uh, many of them uh, live just a life of crime. It's, that's how they get by. Uh, stealing, male prostitution, pedophiles go down to Haiti where it's a safe place down there given the, the situation there. And uh, it, but these kids are being transformed. We spend the whole first day with them and uh, went to the beach, ba baptized 15 of them, uh, just the word of God going out. But the, but the, um, the country is just filled with uh, kids like this, 70 to 90% unemployment rate, imagine that, uh, in, the, in the country, 50% of the country uh, lives on $1 or less a day. And because the mountains have been deforested in Haiti, people have just descended on the city. It's chaotic, vastly overpopulated. The infrastructure uh, can't support the people. Uh, no electricity for most of the day, a few hours a night in, in most of the city. No water system like we have. Uh, there's 10,000 United Nations soldiers, tanks rolling around the city, this type of thing. Uh, just to keep it in place, a couple of years ago there was a coup and the, they were on the verge of civil war, so the United Nations uh, rolled in. It's a nation fighting to survive. And so, yes, security is an issue there. When I first got in the car out of the airport, I put on my seatbelt and then Serge goes, uh, you need to take off your seatbelt. I said, take off my seatbelt. <laughs> what's up with this? 
And he goes, yeah, you know, if you put your seat, no one in Haiti wears a seatbelt. If someone sees you with a seatbelt on, they'll go, hmm, he's from out of town. Let's go take all his money. Uh, and so uh, uh, the whole time I was there, of course, what did I do when I got in the car? I put on my seatbelt. And the whole time my daughter's going, Dad, your seatbelt's on. Dad, your seatbelt's on. You know, Dad, your seatbelt's on, you know, the whole time. And so uh, anyway, uh, try to get the picture of this setting, this, this city, this environment, uh, and uh, Serge went down there a year ago, right into the middle of it, and just uh, took him a few months, but just started declaring the word of God there. And, and you know, where, where there's no other hope, you know, everyone's huddling around trying to figure out what do you do with an e- economy that's 79% unemployment. It's like, you know, trying to draw water from the ocean and dry it up. And, uh, but th- there's something wonderful about that situation because that's when the word of God can be just so explosive. They need the word of God. And so in the face of just warnings from his friends and loved ones, you know, what are you doing there? Going down to that place. There's, missionaries have pretty much gotten out of the city. They've gone out into the countryside and this type of thing. He went right into the middle. Gigantic step of faith. This is such an encouragement to me. And, you know, you may wonder, what am I doing there? Well, this is because this is the very type of ministry that's so close to the heart of God. It's the, and, and I want to be right there where God's heart is. And, 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 and so that's where I want to be. That's where I want our church to be. And so, you know, what has happened? What's happened with this church? You can't fit a single person in the sanctuary eight months in. Packed like sardines. Haitian sardines. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, uh, right after the service, I get you, you need to do something, man. Search. You, you need to move on. So we're going to be helping them move to a, a, a different place. There's just uh, exciting, uh, you know, results already. I, anytime. And for those of you who've been through the Old Testament with us, what have we seen? Every time someone was willing to take a gigantic step of faith, uh, whether it was Joshua or Gideon or uh, Jonathan, and he told his armor bearer, hey, let's go over into the, you know, garrison of the Philistines. Who knows? Maybe the wor- Lord will uh, work for us. Who can, pr- you know, who can stop the Lord? You know, the Lord is not uh, stopped. He-, he can save by many or by few, Jonathan said. And he went over there, and what happened? Just the heavens opened up. And, and, and so, and that's what's going on there, just an explosive thing. And, and so wh- one of the things he's doing, he's uh, with a nation of that high unemployment, he's offering computer classes for a fee, a very small fee. He had 300 ap- uh, applicants for 100 positions. He just teaches all week long. And at the ha- <laughs> each of them are two-hour sessions. At the last half hour, what does he do? He pulls out his Bible, and he teaches the Word of God for a half hour. does the same thing with English class down there. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And personally, I think, you know, what I saw was the beginning of something just huge. I really mean that. And so I could talk all afternoon about, you know, what is is going on down there. You know, we... um, I'm not going to do that. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But, um, you know, we went to a mountain village one day and... um, to a church that's uh, a couple hours away, and uh, I got to tell you, uh, 
we took this Toyota Land Cruiser and this pastor, like a wild man, crazy driver pastor, this, uh, he put it on four-wheel drive, and we're like cruising through rivers, ravines, and just bouncing up and down. And, you know, sometimes I tell my wife, uh, you know, from time to time, I say, you know, I think, I just think I was born in the wrong time, you know, 2008. I was supposed to be born on the Wild West or something. Well, let me tell you, I was, like, having a great time. I was like, yeah, I belong here, you know, uh, and, and, you know, bouncing up and down. And I'm like, I, no one's even charging me for this. <laughs> you know, I don't get it. And, and, and so it's all free, man. It's all free, man, Pastor Steve. It's all free. And so, uh, uh, but here's the deal. I, I, I want you to join me. Uh, big time in prayer because we're already in the initial planning stages, really in prayer about Calvary Chapel in the city, uh, partnering with uh, Calvary Chapel Port-au-Prince, raising up an orphanage there. And we're already seeing uh, the, 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 the things falling into place. You know, with all the issues with poverty there, babies and children, particularly handicapped ones, handicapped infants, just left on the street. And we went to a hospital ward with abandoned kids. Serge said the first time he went to the hospital there, if you can call the hospital, six babies who had just died just lying out in the hall on the table. You know, that's what they're living with every day. And the president of the country, Rene Preval, has come out publicly advocating a resurgence, a, a sort of a reinstitution of voodoo. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> but you know something? The fact of the matter is God has other plans. And what a privilege it is to be a part of it. I was reading John 15, 8. Jesus, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much by this, you will show yourself to be my disciples. By this, you will show yourself to be my disciples. So I'm planning to go back there in April. I'd love to take some of you uh, with me. Security is an issue. You do need to pray about that. Traveling in groups is, is, is safe there. Uh, relatively speaking, Serge is comfortable with that. The pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne, a, a huge, gigantic mega church, actually is himself going to be uh, traveling down uh, later in the year. And so, you know, I realize this is not something most people are, are, are comfortable with. That's perp- perfectly okay. But you can pray. <laughs> you know, you can pray. The, the real work is done in the prayer closet. And uh, pray for the orphanage. Pray for the word of God as it goes forth. We'll also be going to Peru. We'll be starting up meetings for those interested in these um, missions trips uh, in, uh, in a week or two. But um, anyway, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Life with Jesus is just such an abundant, great adventure. It's the Wild West, and I love it. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Anyone need a Bible? You can raise your hand. 
verse 20. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has searched us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that promise that you who have established us, you've anointed us, you've sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Father, I just pray that you would fill us this morning with the assurance of that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So we left off last time with verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. So every day, as we mentioned, this year, 2008, you're going to be faced with a decision. Do you believe that or not? For all the promises of God in him are yes. Meaning that God has made many, many promises. Someone has counted 3,000. And there's a question that you'll be faced with every day, confronted with. Will God be faithful to me to keep those promises? And what he's saying here is the answer is yes. The promises of God. What promises? 2 Corinthians 2.9 My grace is sufficient for you. Will God, be faithful to you to keep that promise. Paul is saying yes. Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Will will God be faithful to, to you to keep that promise? Answer, yes. And you can list all 3,000 promises, and the answer to the question will always be the same. Yes, yes, yes. And so that is what Paul is saying with, uh, in verse 20. And so the theme last time was the new year, this new year. Uh, and, and, you know, every single day you will be faced with a choice. Do I believe what God has promised me. And so we talked about Joseph in the Old Testament, who every day for 10 years uh, was faced with that question just under the most terrible circumstances. And, 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 you know, first when he was in chains being dragged to Egypt by a bunch of Midianite slave traders. 
uh, after being sold into slavery by his brother. Second, as a slave uh, to an Egyptian official. Third, as a prisoner uh, after being thrown into an Egyptian prison for something he didn't do. Betrayed by the very people who he should have trusted the most, first by his brothers. Now, if you're feeling sorry for yourselves because the circumstances you're in this morning by being betrayed by someone uh, you've, been trust- you've, uh, you've trusted your life to, consider this, first by his brothers whose care <clears throat> he was under instead of they sold him into slavery. <clears throat> Second, by Potiphar and his wife, who he had been loyal and worked so hard for, but they lied just, just to save face. And third, by a, f- a fellow prisoner, a prisoner, Pharaoh's chief butler, who was a fellow prisoner, and he had been set free in accordance with the dream that Joseph had told him, but uh, who had forgotten uh, him as soon as he was set free, the Bible says, for two full years. The sitting in an Egyptian prison. And the whole time, ten years, we read in the Bible, Joseph lived a blameless life, He lived a life above reproach. He was incredibly loyal to everybody who was around him. He was unbelievably hardworking. And every day for 10 years, a battle was taking place in his mind. And this is a battle that's going to take place in your mind every day this year. What is the point of following God? You know, all the good I have done, here I am being repaid with evil, Joseph, in his mind. Every day for 10 years, all the blessing I have given, it's been returned for a curse. Uh, There's no reward for living for God. Uh, Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. Surely I have wasted my life on trying to follow the Lord. My loyalty, my work, my life. Look what it's brought me, nothing. Psalm 105, it says that Speaking of Joseph, it says that his, his soul was put into iron. So that's what he was faced with every day, and he had a choice. Did he go with where those thoughts, those lies wanted to take him? You're going to be faced with that same decision. Every day this year. As things are thrown in your way, trying to knock you off where God wants you to be. Did he throw in the towel? Did he call quits? Did he flesh out and try to uh, an easier way? Or did he just believe the promises of God? Uh, Joseph had been taught the promises of God. He had been taught that um, one day, he'd been told in dreams... That one day he would be a ruler, that God had a big, uh, a huge, uh, enormous, wonderful plan for his life. Uh, he, he had been taught that the Lord is God, whose name was Adonai, which means master. And so every day he had a choice. Is this slave master my master, or is God my master? And is, is it really God who's in control of my life here? Psalm 105 continues, it continues, it says, They hurt his feet with fetters, meaning chains. He was laid in iron until the time that God's word came to pass. Let me tell you, God has a word for your life. More on that later. But there's a waiting, there's a testing period. Every day you'll be faced with the choice. 
am I going to follow God? Am I going to believe in his promise? Here's the deal. Listen, if you take anything from this part of the message, take this. Joseph didn't just wake up on day one of this 10-year period. And say, you know, for the next 10 years, I'm just going to believe all the promises of God. Glory, hallelujah. That's not how it worked. No, each and every day, all the terrible circumstances, staring him in the face, mocking him, mocking his face in the middle of heartache, in the middle of pain. His soul was in iron. It says, is he going to believe the promises of God? It's a day by day waiting on the Lord. There's a verse used about 50 times in the Bible. Wait on the Lord, the Bible says. Feed on his faithfulness. Dwell in the land. Uh, And so, brothers and sisters, the word of God declares that the Christian life is an abundant life. Yes, uh, uh, it's a life of of joy and peace and power. Romans 14 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But it's also a life of warfare. Spiritual warfare. Satan, the world, your flesh, throwing things at you every day to knock you out, out of course. The Bible says that the, you know, everyone who tries to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's not just talking about losing your job or even your life. It's talking about the world, the flesh, the devil, just throwing darts, arrows, hatchets, whatever, trying to knock you off course. We have a, a choice to make every day. Do I believe in the promises of God? Do I believe his faith, grace? Is sufficient. Do I believe Jesus when he's told, he's told me that he will never leave me or forsake me? So no sooner does the Holy Spirit say that in verse 20. Remember the Holy Spirit, author of the word of God? No sooner does he say, for all the promises of God are yes, that in verse 21 and 22 he declares two fresh new promises Verse 21, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So we'll call these promises 2,759 and 2,760. Not really. It's a joke. I don't know what what number they are. But but these are are, are two new promises right after verse 20. Uh, Number one, uh, the first promise is that you have been anointed by God himself. Second promise, that he has sealed you and given you his spirit as a guarantee. Hmm. Those are nice promises, but what do they mean? So verse 21 says, He who has anointed us is God. The word anointed, what does that mean? Well, you hear this word a lot. You'll hear things like, you know, that... that uh, Preacher guy, he just has the anointing. Or that message, anointed message. Or that woman, her ministry, it's just anointed. There's a big 
problem, I think, with using the word in that way. Why? Because it gives the impression that only certain people have the anointing of God. You know, this word's only used one time of Christians in the New Testament. It's not mentioned a whole lot for as many times it's, it's used. It's used wrongly, by the way. It's only used one time as Christians. Many times it's associated with Christ, with Jesus. Only one time is it mentioned uh, uh, to, to, uh, in the context of, of Christians, that Christians have anointing. It's right here. It says, again, now he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Meaning, Paul is saying this is just not for apostles, not just for powerful preachers, not just for evangelists, famous evangelists, Billy Graham's, Charles Spurgeon's, Chuck Smith's, you know, Tony Evans, whoever. It's not just for them. It's for you and me. He who anointed it, anointed us is God, it says. And so here, a promise for you and me. It says, if you are saved, if you are saved, you're anointed by God. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, if you confess him that Jesus is Lord, meaning he's your master. Adonai, your master. If you believe that, if you believe Jesus Christ uh, was raised from the dead, the Bible says you are saved and you're anointed. So anyway, what does it sounds really good? I'm anointed. What does that mean? Well, if you're taking notes, this is what it means. It means to be very different than probably maybe you've uh, heard it before, but what it means is to be set apart by God for a specific purpose. Very similar to the word holy, the Greek word for holy, Hebrew word for holy. It means to be set apart by God for a specific purpose. In the Old Testament, priests were anointed for what? For a very specific purpose. What was it? To serve in the temple, right? Prophets. We see the word used for prophets being anointed in the Old Testament for a very specific purpose, right? For what? For prophesying, declaring the word of God to the people. That's what prophecy is supremely. Uh, we see kings anointed. Remember David being the, you know, oil poured over him? Kings were anointed. Why? For a very specific purpose. To rule the people. And so... Very specific purpose. Here's again. Here's what's interested. Interesting. Only used once for Christians. Every other time used for Jesus. It's used for Jesus to describe how and for what he was set apart by God for. Jesus says in Luke four eighteen, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted." preach deliverance to the captive, recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty the, them that are bruised. So uh, it's just when it mentions the anointing of Jesus, the context is what he was set 
aside for part for from uh, for uh, God by and and for that specific purpose. What was it for? Well, it's for preaching deliverance, healing the brokenhearted, uh, uh, in the for the purpose of uh, preaching good news. So, what do we learn from Second Corinthians one twenty one? He who anointed us is God. If you're a child of God this morning, you've been anointed by God, meaning you have been set aside. You may never have thought of yourself this way, but you've been set aside by God for a specific purpose. He has a purpose for your life. And I assure you, it's not just so you can come to church each week and warm the, the pew or whatever you call these chairs. These, <laughs> it's, it's, it's for something much different than that. Uh, it's for a specific ministry, a specific calling, a specific passion for your life. That's what anointing means, and it's not just for the Billy Grahams of the world. It's for you. He anointed us, verse 21 says, is God. The Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb for a specific purpose. He anointed you. So anyone wondering what the promises of God are, here you have one, 2 Corinthians 1.21. You've been anointed by God. And then in 2 Corinthians 1.22, next verse, we see another promise. So God has, verse 22, has sealed us, sealed us, and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Another promise things don't get much easier. What does that mean to be sealed? What does it mean to have a guarantee? The word seal here, it's the Greek word sfragizo. Man, last week it was Creole. This week it's sfragizo. Well, man. It's been tough in it for the last couple of weeks. But anyway, seal, it's a word we don't use as much anymore. Uh, you used to put seals on things that, were, that you owned. Uh, and so jugs of water, those were like real important possessions. You would put your seal on the, your jugs or you would uh, put them on your furniture or you would put them on your animals. So think about branding, really the same thing. It was like a certain insignia, a certain sign uh, that would be, uh, you, you know, the seal would go on something you own. It was your way of saying, I own this. This is my property. So if this doesn't get you excited, it should. Verse 22 says, God has sealed you. When you ask Jesus in your heart, God has put his seal on you. He is mine. She is mine. My property. Please, 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 just let that sink in. You are God's property. He's put his seal of ownership on you. Ephesians 4.13 says, Having believed in Jesus, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Many times, most of the time in the New Testament, this word seal is used. It's in the book of Revelation. Why? To mark who were God's property so they'd be protected in the time of tribulation. You're God's property. I'm God's property. That should not only, by the way, should that bring joy to your heart, worship. That's also a very sobering thought, right? That I'm God's property. You're God's property. Every word you say. Everything you take in, you allow in your life. Whether it's through your eyes, no TV, the internet, out in the street, whatever. Everything you hear, everything you allow in, we have a lot, a lot of control, brothers and sisters, of what we listen to. Don't, don't try to kid yourself. Everything that you touch, you're God's property. Never forget that. You've been sealed. Let that be a warning to your heart, an encouragement, a powerful encouragement to your heart as well. So again, verse 22 God has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. One commentator said, by sealing his children, God is claiming pro a property in them, distinguishing them from the rest of the world, setting his affections on them, securing and protecting their persons, and hiding them under the shadow of his wings. And then it says, in verse 22, that you've been given the Spirit in your hearts as a guarantee. As a guarantee. So again, that begs the question, a guarantee of what? Turn with, to me, uh, with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Just a few chapters to your right. Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll read verses 13 and 14. Everyone there? It says, In Him you also trusted in Jesus. So you trusted in Jesus. In Him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation or the good news of your salvation in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. Hmm, there's that word again. With the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of what? Of our inheritance. Does that mean inheritance? Heaven. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption uh, of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So guarantee, uh, it means what? It's, it means a guarantee of heaven. Guarantee. In the Greek, it means the same thing. Guarantee means a guarantee. Guarantee of what? Guarantee of our inheritance. What's our inheritance? The Bible says it's heaven, a relationship now and forever with God.
know, so we enter here upon a controversial subject, but uh, what assurance do we have when we give our life to Jesus? And don't just quote me a couple of isolated verses. To me, the, the word of God is clear. John 20, verse 31 says this. These things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, if that wasn't enough, he repeats it in 1 John 5.13. Same exact verse. These things I write to you. God is writing to you so that you'll know that you have eternal life. I don't want any of my kids, all five of them, not a one of them, wondering whether they're my child. Neither does God want you to be wondering whether you're his child. And let me tell you, there's no joy, there's no power, there's no fruit in the life of a person running around wondering whether they're going to be in eternity in heaven or not. Uh, the, the Bible says, when the Son of Man sets you free, you're free indeed. Hebrews 2.15 says that Christ came that he might release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Christians don't fear death. They're actually very, they grow very comfortable with it. It doesn't happen overnight. The Bible says to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. That's something you will grow more and more comfortable with as you grow with the Lord. These things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so, um, uh, again, we read another promise. The Spirit has been sealed in you as, a, as what? A guarantee. There's only one way to interpret the word guarantee. A guarantee. I want to close with, uh, close with Ephesians 6. And remember, uh, turn please just a couple chapters to the right to Ephesians chapter 6. And remember the, the theme where we start off with every day we have a decision. Do we believe in the promises of God? Do we believe in those promises? Because we need those promises and we have to cling to them every day. We have to make a decision of, of, of whether Paul is telling the truth, whether the word of God is, is real and true uh, in, in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that every promise of the Lord is yes and amen in Christ. Well, Ephesians chapter 6 gets into this uh, same sort of theme that we were talking about, sort of that you know, Christian life filled with joy and abundance. There's also a battle. And it says in verse 10, uh, of, of Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in, in the power of his might. For uh, put on the whole armor of, uh, of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. That means the schemes. It means sort of the machinations that, you know, of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And it says, and remember, the brothers and sisters, this is an everyday thing. <laughs> this just doesn't go away. This, this is what greets you in the morning. This is what you go to bed with. And so it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God 
Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, and this is what I want you to, to listen to, as we're going to get, up, get to the subject of a guarantee, real important piece of armor, that guarantee. It says in verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, so you gird your waist with the truth of the word of God, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, there's something really powerful about a man or woman of God who just walks in righteousness. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We should ever be having our faith just on our sleeves, wearing it on our feet, uh, on our sleeves. Uh, The faith of who our Lord is and our willingness to share it. Verse 16, above all, we should pay close attention to this, take on the shield of faith. The faith of what? That all the promises of God are, are, are yes and amen. With which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And here's the, here's the verse here. And what? Take the helmet of salvation. So every morning you're supposed to put on the helmet of salvation. Now, what's all that about? That's the guarantee. You're not going to be able to survive spiritual warfare and all those lies. Well, I don't really know what you just did. Yeah, I don't really know if you're saved. Yeah, I don't really, how can a brother you know, or, or, or a Christian do what you just did? Or how can, you know, uh, what you did last week or what you did 20 years ago? There's a curse on your life. You know, all those other people at church, you know, they're different than you. You know what you do when you hear stuff like that? And you will hear it. You take that helmet of salvation and you stick it on your head. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's just such a key component. A key piece of armor that we put on every single day. It says, put on the whole armor of God. And it's, it's meaning uh, every single day, the helmet of salvation. So back in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, uh, every promise is yes and amen, that you have been anointed by God. You've been set apart by God for a specific purpose. And also that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit as what? A guarantee. And you can, and we, we can have, uh, just we, we can put our faith, it says above all, put, put on faith, we can put our faith in that very thing along with the, with the helmet uh, of salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, well, I'm not sure if God has ever put his seal on me. Well, I have very good news for you. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a simple prayer of faith. We're going to have a couple people up here after the service. If you'd like to pray that very simple prayer of faith, it's just saying to God, it's exchanging your life. Saying, God, Lord Jesus, get on the throne of my life. And it's just stepping off the throne and putting him on. It's as simple as that. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the Bible says he will seal you. 
he'll anoint you. That's an exciting promise that we can, uh, we want to put our faith in every day this week. So that's your homework this week. I'll be asking you next Sunday if you've done your homework. Just believing in the promises of God. Let's pray with the, word, with the um, worship team uh, come up. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that every promise is yes in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be wander, wandering around this world wondering what the purpose of our life is. You said you've anointed us. You've set us apart with a specific purpose. Lord, I pray for any man or woman or child in this room who's wondering what that is, that you would speak to them, Lord, about what your calling on their life is, what you want for them even this week, Lord, even for today. Father, we thank you for the seal. You've put your stamp of ownership on us, Lord. Though the word of God says, and certainly we agree, Lord, there's nothing we did to deserve that. By grace, you have saved us. And Lord, we thank you for the guarantee. The Bible says, He who the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. We thank you for that freedom of, of that assurance of a life with you, an eternal life, Lord, an abundant life here, an eternal life in heaven. Lord, I just pray for anyone here in this room wondering whether that seal has been placed on their life. Father, I just pray that you would draw them to you by faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, please rise. We're going to end the worship service with worship.
God bless you guys. You are dismissed.